Greetings and welcome to the worship services of Alamo First Baptist Church. I'm Brother Chris Rigby. I'm standing here this morning in front of our bell. This is the original bell that was at our old location uh, years ago. It uh, was there when the church was first built and it was always a call to worship. Well, when we moved to our new campus here several years ago, we brought it with us. And not too long ago, we got to put it up. We're so excited about it because it reminds us that we're coming together into this building to worship. And we are excited that today you've decided to tune in to our broadcast to worship our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Our prayer this morning is that you will see the great love that Jesus has for you and the great love that we have for you as well this morning as we worship together. We look forward to meeting you and your family and we invite you to be a part of any of our worship services, our activities or ministries here. And if you'd like to get in touch with us, probably the best way to do that is just drop us a line at our email address, alamofirstbaptist at gmail.com. All of it spelled out, just gmail.com, alamofirstbaptist. We look forward this morning to worshiping with you. We pray God's blessings upon you and your family as we go inside now and we worship together. Let's go ring that bell for Jesus.
to you. It's good to see you this morning. Good morning back, right? All right, good. Well, I'm glad that uh, we're able to still be together. I know that uh, I think First Christian Church, they had to shut back down for a couple weeks because of some uh, possible outbreaks in their congregation. And I know uh, several churches in Jackson and Madison County uh, had to uh, shut down too. Just so you know, we continue to monitor everything all week long. And if there is a need to, to be safe and just kind of uh, back down, we'll let you know on Facebook, on the Internet. We'll get the word out as best we can. But our prayers are we'll continue to at least be able to hold what we've got where we're able to come together on Sunday morning uh, and uh, still do a few small group things as we are. So keep praying for that. And uh, that's kind of where we are. And deacons, we're going to be meeting next Sunday after the worship service. So uh, all of you guys, uh, be sure to stick around uh, for that. And we'll uh, kind of see where, where we are uh, and, and uh, where we need to be uh, looking forward. So several things to do there. Uh, any other announcements? It's kind of hard to keep contact. Youth are going to be up here Wednesday night, so 6.30. They need to bring anything? No. All right, good deal. Well, this is uh, a sad Sunday because this is uh, our last Sunday with Miss Allie. Allie, I want you to come up here. Allie's last Sunday as our youth, or our children's uh, director. I want all my kids to come up here, too. We got a little something for you, so all my kids, y'all come up here. We've got a gift from Miss Allie, and uh, she's going off to big school to, you know, <laughs> to, what, what are you going to be doing? Uh, I'm going to a sonography program to I ain't saying that. Son, sonography? All right. Well, we're proud of you, Allie. We're going to miss you. And uh, also, uh, we, we've kind of lined up her replacement. We've had a volunteer. Uh, so the Children's Committee is working with that, and the Personnel Committee is going to be working with that. And Megan Spence has agreed to, to, to look at taking that on. So they're going to work on dot, dotting the I's and crossing the T's and getting all that done. But anyway, this is for you, Allie. It is uh, 
This is from our kids. I'm going to let you open it. Right now? Yeah, you go ahead and open that right now. And it, there's some, like, little tissue paper that was supposed to be made pretty in here. <laughs> but Brian forgot to do that. <laughs> anyway. It's a necklace, a heart, because you have our heart. Also, there's an Outback gift card. And then, Brother Brian and I got this for you. It's a coffee mug that says, be kind. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> All right, wait a minute now. We love you. We're going to pray for you before you go off. But we're going to give you a virtual hug. So everybody, guys, y'all, put your arms out. Give Allie a virtual hug. Virtual hug. <laughs> Y'all want me to? Y'all want to help me pray for Miss Allie? All right. If she gets ready to go off to school, she'll be back, but she won't be working with you guys. All right. You don't want to pray, right? All right. I'll pray. Father, we thank you this morning for our worship time. We thank you for uh, offering that we get to give through the week. We pray for it as well. But this morning, we also pray for Allie. We've enjoyed her for a, a good two and two and a half years, Lord, being our children's minister. And she has just blessed our kids and their lives so much. And she's helped lead so many to you, Jesus, and to bring uh, a deeper, richer faith uh, into their life. And just, Jesus, as she makes this transition in her life, going to Memphis and going to school, uh, just pursuing her professional career, we pray blessings upon her. Keep her safe. Let her know we love her and we're always thinking about her and watch over. And thank you for our kids. We pray for Megan as she uh, takes uh, Allie's place and begins to uh, work with our children and, and to help continue to lead that ministry. All these things, Jesus, we lift you uh, in your name. Amen. Y'all give Miss Allie a hand. <laughs> Evie and Justin are going to stay up here with me. All right, it is good to see you. Won't you stand with us as we continue to worship together? I stand amazed in the presence of Jesus the
Oh, oh, oh. 
Father God, that's what we're here today. We, I pray that everyone will pour contempt on everything that we hold prideful. Lord, you came and you said that you came that we might have life and we might have it to the fullest, have it to the abundance. And Lord, I, I just hope that we're doing that today, even though the, the world seems to be out of control with COVID and, and all the protests and everything else that's going on in our world, Lord. Uh, you are still in control. And I pray you'd help us to see that, that, that even though we may lose everything here, Lord, that uh, you are there with us, you will guide us, and one day, Lord, we'll be with you in, for all eternity. Of course, by your grace that we're saved, not of anything that we can do. It is simply by what you've done on the cross, and when we confess that and ask you to forgive us of our sins, Lord, you'll do that, and we can become your children. And we just thank you for that promise that we have, that we'll be able to spend all eternity with you, Lord. We love you today. We ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. today cause yesterday I followed the desires of my foolish heart into the dark feeling far away need a couple days to work real hard to hit the mark trying to get myself back in good with you what a what a losing game cost That's what the blood is for It cleans the dirty man I am And makes it possible you're the light where I am free in perfect peace and what if I could get my act
Amen. Thank you, Daniel. Take your Bible this morning and open, please, to Matthew 25. And aren't you thankful for the blood of Jesus that gives us eternal life, that takes away that old man that we were, that old person, and makes us a new creature in God. We've been in a series for the last couple of weeks. This will be the third week in the series examining what we call the God questions, the tough questions about God, the tough questions that we have about our faith. And our very first question we said was, is God real? And we said that that question above all other questions has the most writing on it and is, of course, the most important because if God isn't real and there is no God, then really Anything else that we would want to do when we come to church together really doesn't really mean anything. Life itself wouldn't mean anything uh, if uh, there's no purpose behind it. And then we looked at last week uh, the question of evil. We said that is a big question mark when it comes to God. It's a big question mark for the faith. What about evil? And we talked about the origin of evil, the entrance of evil into the world. And we said evil is a a little bit of a mystery. God tells us a little bit about it. He tells us, for example, how evil came into this world. uh, And he tells us uh, our response to evil. But as far as uh, the origin, the beginning of evil, Uh, There's really not a lot said about it, but uh, we did say that that in part is part of our faith. We accept that we understand that, uh, that God is doing a greater work than we can see and understand. There's another question that gets thrown at Christians. It's a question that uh, is hard for us to answer sometimes uh, by the folks that, that ask that to us. And it's this question, how can... A loving God send people to a place like hell? And that is a tough question. I'm going to give you some verses before we read our main text together, but I want you to have these in the back of your mind. And there could have been a lot of other verses that I could have used, but these were the three uh, that I wanted to kind of give as a foundational uh, passage for uh, the message today. 2 Peter 3 and verse 9. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. That passage tells us that God is serious, and there's a seriousness to his love, that he's not slack, he's not slow, but his desire is that all would come to know life through Jesus, his son. Then the psalmist tells us in Psalm 26 and verse 9, and this is a prayer, it's a prayer unto God. The psalmist says, do not sweep my soul away with the sinners. And that prayer in and of itself tells us that as as people that look to God, that's, that's our heart's desire. When we think about our eternity and our destiny, and, and that, that prayer, that verse itself tells us that there is a seriousness about the subject matter that we're going to look at this morning. And then Mark chapter 9, verses 47 and 48, and these are the words of Jesus, and if your eye causes you to sin, tear it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than with two eyes to be thrown into hell, 
where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. That passage tells us about the seriousness behind making a wrong decision as it relates to eternity. Our foundational passage in Matthew 25 is the one that I chose for us this morning to kind of lay that, that firm foundation on is there a hell or not. The, Matthew 25 is really three parables. It's, it's what's called the Olivet Discourse. And it, it really is Jesus teaching the followers how we're to live in the present with one eye also fixed on the future and in mind. And, and basically Jesus says this in Matthew 25, you and I need to be careful that we invest our life and that we don't just spend our life in living. I want you to think about that for a moment. Jesus says you and I need to invest our life. We need to live with a purpose. We need to live knowing that the decisions that we make matter and we don't just simply need to go through life without thinking about uh, where we're at and where we're going. So with that in mind let's look now at Matthew 25 beginning in verse 31 we'll read through verse 46. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him and by the way if you don't know it Jesus is coming again. We don't know when but he's coming and I really didn't pay attention to it I was reading it this week, but when Jesus comes, all the angels are coming with him. Not some of the angels, not most of the angels, not part of the angels, not a third of the angels, but every angel in heaven is coming with him. I, man, you talk about a sight to behold. Then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations. That's the powerful nations, the small nations, the big nations, the little ones, the rich ones, the poor ones, the nations that at the furthest ends of the earth, every tribe and tongue, every people will be gathered before the Lord Jesus. And we're told, Jesus says, what he will do. And he will separate people, that is, he will divide them, one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He said, there's your illustration. This is what's going to happen to people at this time. And he will place the sheep on his right hand, but the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those on his right, come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Underscore that. God has had a purpose. God has had a plan. God has had a work that he has been doing. Listen, before the first star was thrown out, before uh, the first mountain was piled up and the first ocean scooped out and the first human foot set uh, uh, its, its place upon this earth, God had a work he was doing. And Jesus says that work will be accomplished. And then he says, verse 35, for I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me in. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? 
And when did we see you sick or in prison visit you? And the king will answer them, Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it for me. What Jesus gives there is a test. It's a test of our salvation. It's not a salvation by works, but it is a salvation that does work. A salvation that is active and engaged. It's proof of a relationship with God that you love others as Jesus has loved you. But he said, those that fell the test, verse 41, then he will say to those on the left, depart from me, you cursed into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. And he's talking about hell there. And he tells us at least two things. One, that it is a place of eternal fire. And second, it was not prepared for uh, mankind. It was prepared for the devil and the demons, uh, those fallen angels. But where they're going, he says, the cursed who have not chosen rightly will go there too. And he says, how, do, how can you know if you're headed in that direction? Well, I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, did not welcome me in. Naked, you did not clothe me. Sick in prison, you did not visit me. And they will also answer just like the righteous, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick in prison and did not minister to you? And then he will say, truly I say to you, as you did not do it unto the least of these, you did not do it unto me. Again, it's not a salvation of works, but it is a salvation that has works to back up the faith. Jesus says the test is this, do you really love others the way I love you? And then he says this in verse 46, and this is the real passage I want to drive home. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Anytime that I preach on the subject of hell, I can't help but go back to a conversation that I had several years ago with a mother. I had been called to minister to uh, another family. Uh, They had just... uh, had a loved one uh, die, and I had gone out there to minister to that family. When I got there, this lady was there. She was a family friend to this family. They were waiting on the funeral home to get there. And uh, as they were getting some things together after we had kind of prayed some uh, there in the home, uh, this mother and I had gone out on the front porch uh, so the family could do what they needed to do Uh, to get some things ready. I'll never forget, as we're standing there on that front porch on that uh, afternoon, she looked at me and she asked me a question. She said, Preacher, do you believe in hell? After 30-something years in the ministry, I can tell you uh, I've grown used to getting asked questions that sometimes I'm real uh, tepid into answering because I don't know why people are asking those questions and I don't know necessarily where they're going and so tepidly I I remember telling her well yes yes I do according to the word of God there is a place called hell and tears began to get in her eyes and she looked at me and she began to explain her situation she said 
Preacher, years ago, I lost a son to an auto accident. My son was like his father. He had no time for church. He had no time for God. I had always hoped that he would come to church. I had always hoped that he would get uh, uh, into church. I had always hoped that he would make a profession of faith and be baptized, but he never did. And there before his 18th birthday, he was gone. She said, I was raised going to church. I was raised believing in God. I just can't believe that God would send my boy to hell. And then she said, preacher, if my boy isn't in heaven, I don't want to go. And truthfully, I'm sorry, but I want nothing to do with God, and I want nothing to do with this church, and I don't care anything about the Bible if my boy is in hell. The conversation quickly closes. The funeral home arrived for the body. The attention went back to the family, and that was pretty much the end of our conversation. But to this day when I read about hell and to this day when I preach on hell, I cannot help to think about this lady and her boy. How do you answer that question? How do you answer the question, if God is a loving God, and we say he is, the Bible says God is love. If God loves and he is loving, how can he send people to a place like hell? Let's admit it, we'd much rather say everyone goes to heaven. Francis Chan in his book, Erasing Hell, kind of notes the way that we tend to think, at least at funerals. He said, at every funeral I've ever been to, I have to admit, it seems like everyone's going to heaven. Let me ask you this question. When's the last time you've been to a funeral where you heard the preacher say, well, let's bow our head, our dearly departed has slipped into hell, so let's just have a moment of sorrow and silence. It's more like the old saying, you know, if they didn't go to heaven, well, we're going to preach them into heaven anyway at their funeral. You ever been to someone's funeral where you really knew they never knew God and they didn't have a care about God or God's word, and yet the preacher preached a sermon that you would have thought that was a saint of God? There are a lot of folks that are in that situation as that mother was, perhaps someone here today, someone listening. There's a loved one that you have that's on your mind or in your heart and you are saying, well, if I'm honest, they're probably not in heaven, but in this place we call hell. As a matter of fact, National Geographically, uh, National Geographic recently published an article that was entitled The Campaign to Eliminate Hell, written by Mark Strauss. In the uh, article, let me give you a few things that were floated. Over the last 20 years, they point out the number of Americans who believe in a fiery down below has dropped from 71% to 58%. Heaven, by contrast, still fares very well among Christians. Almost every Christian universally accepts that there is a heaven, but yet less than half or right at half believe in a hell. Much of the time is spent considered in this article uh, considering what's called universalism or uh, annihilationism. Universalism basically holds the belief that 
in the end, everything will work out all right and everyone will be in heaven and hell will be no more. In the article, uh, they quote Mark uh, Galley. He's the editor of Christianity Today. And Galley Galley believes that many evangelicals will choose to accept that hell is a paradox that can never be fully understood. And he goes on to say, when it comes to heaven and hell, if God wanted us to know definitely one way or the other, he would have made himself more clear. Instead, he says, God has left us tantalizing hints about what might happen so one can move forward in life happily and live with that mystery. In other words, Galley, the author for Christianity Today, says, you know, just don't worry about it. It's not a big deal. It'll work out. It'll all be okay in the end. Dear friend, I want to tell you, I don't know what version of the Bible that Galley is reading, but the version of the Bible that I read, life does have a worry. And there is something more that we need to think about. The article gave an opinion poll question, do you believe in hell? And I said, well, I'm going to vote on this poll. And, of course, you know what I voted. Yes, I do believe in hell. As of date, there was 3,334 people that voted. I guess I was the 3,334. I was the four, one of the four. 46% said, yes, they believe in hell. 54% said no. In the article that was written in 2016, it had dropped to 58%. What I'm showing you is that in four years, it's dropped even lower than that. Less than half of those who call themselves Christian believe in hell. Is hell something to worry about? Francis Chan, in the book I was telling about, says this, and it was a powerful Uh, statement, and I want to give you the quote. It is more than just a doctrine. It's a destiny. It's more than just a doctrine. It's a destiny. And I think that as Christians, that's been one of the faults that we've we, we can put at the door of the church, the door at the Christian faith, is that we, when we talk about hell, we treat it as some doctrinal thing that can be, well, either embraced or not embraced or are, are, are considered in a serious vein or not. Just, you know, we just kind of skip over it and jump over it and move on to, well, more exciting things or more pleasant things. But, dear friend, there is nothing more pressing than where we're going to spend eternity. The story is told of some sailors that were aboard a ship, and they asked their chaplain who had come on board. They said, Chaplain, do you believe in hell? And he thought about it, and he looked at the men, and he said, well, yes, I do. Why do you ask? And they said, well, it's this reason. If there is a hell and you don't believe in it, then we don't really want you for a chaplain. But if there is no hell, then, well, we don't need a chaplain anyway. So basically, it mattered. We wanted someone that believed in it because if we're, if we're wrong on the subject, at least you have shown us how wrong we are. Sometimes the preacher will preach on hell and people will say, well, that preacher is unloving, he's cruel, he's hurting. But I would say to you that I, I'm on that subject like the great pastor, Dr. R.G. Lee was. 
Here's what Dr. Lee said about preaching on hell. He says, I know some people that call the preachers uh, who stand squarely upon the teaching of Christ and his apostles harsh and narrow and cruel. He says, as to being narrow, I have no more desire to be broader than Jesus was. As to being cruel, is it cruel to tell a person the truth? Is a man to be called cruel who declares the whole counsel of God and points out the uh, dangers to men and to women? Is it cruel to arouse sleeping people to the fact that their house is on fire? Is it cruel to jerk a blind man away from a rattlesnake's coil? Is it cruel to declare to the people the deadliness of disease and tell them that there is a medicine by which it can, uh, uh, they can be cured? And then Dr. Lee says this, I'd rather be called cruel for being kind than to be called kind for being cruel. The cruelest thing that a Christian can do is fail to warn people about what the Bible has to say on the subject of hell. The idea of hell today is ridiculed. It's laughed at. It's really the way the world wants to to respond. If you talk about hell today, the world just kind of laughs at you and says, what an idiot, what a fool, what a moron. But I'll tell you something, dear friend, you can laugh your way into hell, but you cannot laugh your way out of hell. Proverbs 28 verse 5 tells us, evil men do not understand justice, but those who seek the Lord understand it completely. The world tries to eliminate it. It will laugh it away, mock it away if it can. I mentioned two different beliefs that the world tries to embrace I mentioned one, universalism, but there's another, annihilationism. There are those who believe that after death, well, we just simply cease to exist. The doctrine is called the doctrine of annihilation. Out like a dog, like a flea, like a cat, like an amoeba, like a grub on the earth, the earthworm, just gone. They teach the doctrine of annihilation. In in other words, you die and you just kind of go back into nothingism. And then the other one was universalism. The universalist says, well, everybody eventually makes it. They may have to go to some kind of holding place for a little while, but after they spend enough time and time out, God in his love is going to say, well, let's come on to heaven with you. The problem is that both of those doctrines do not hold with the teaching of God's word. So I want to ask you, what do you believe? Do you believe in a place called hell? How are you going to believe? Who are you going to trust? I want to tell you, dear friend, I'm going to believe what God says. There are three places I think that we can go for an answer on what we believe. I like what Dr. Rogers used to say. One ounce of what God says is worth a ton of what some philosopher would say or what someone else would have to say. So let me give you three places that I want to tell you that affirms that there is a hell. The first one is Jesus himself. And I want you to think about Jesus, the Son of God, on what he has to say about hell. Surprising as it might be, Jesus spoke more about hell than any other person in the Bible. There are 1,870 verses in the New Testament that record for us the very words of the Lord Jesus. And Jesus said, 13% of those words deal with either hell or judgment. 
You read the Sermon on the Mount, and Jesus is quite clear. We read it for you, just a little of it. He said, it's better for you to lose parts of your body than for you to lose the whole body and be thrown into hell. He says, if your right hand makes you stumble, cut it off. If your eye causes you to stumble, pluck, pluck it out. He said, it would be better for you to go into heaven maimed than to end up in hell complete. Jesus taught about hell. He taught it was a real place. It was a real place of emotional anguish. Jesus taught about hell being a real place of unbelievable darkness. Jesus talked about hell being a, plain, a place of physical pain, of hopeless isolation, and eternal punishment. Hell is the only place in the universe where there's no next time and no tomorrow. If hell is not true, then Jesus lied, and Jesus is a liar. If hell is not true, then nothing that Jesus has to say is worth believing or hearing. If hell is not true, Jesus died for absolutely no reason. How can you know there's a hell? Because of Jesus. What he said and what he did tells us there's a hell. There's a second place you can go, and that's God the Father on hell. You see, the biggest argument against hell is that one that we came to the very beginning. If God is loving, then he could never send people to hell. Well, friend, I want to tell you something. I completely agree. God is loving. And God has done everything that he could do to keep from seeing people go to hell. If someone ends up in hell, it will not be God's fault. God is a loving God, but he is a God whose love is defined as a holy love. It isn't some sentimental emotion, some warm and fuzzy feeling. It's not something that just says, well, I'll tolerate anything and everything and everybody's fine and okay. No, it is a holy love. God desires everyone to go to heaven, but God gives us the choice to choose to love him. God gives us the choice to be part of his family. God will not force us to love him. We said it last week in the message on evil. God is not some divine rapist that forces us to love him. God gives us the choice to love him. He's sovereign, but yet we still have a choice in the matter. You say, well, how do those two things even work together? It's called a miracle. It's called doing only what God can do. And God has given us that choice. To understand the teaching of God's love is to understand the attributes of God. It's to, it's to take the, the concept of hell and the attributes of God and to put them all together. Think about it for a moment. God is just. Therefore, right will ultimately prevail. God is righteous. Therefore, he will always do the right thing. God is holy. Therefore, he cannot and will not tolerate sin. But God is love. And therefore, he cares about all of us. God is merciful and he will do what he can to do 
to spare us from judgment that we all deserve. How does it work? The justice of God, the righteousness of God created a place called hell for, for the devil and for his angels. There must be a penalty for what is wrong and what has been done wrong. God in love sent his son to die for our penalty of sins so that we would not have to go to a place called hell. So we would not have to spend eternity in this horrible place. If a person ends up in hell, they have no one to blame but themselves. C.S. Lewis said, no one ever goes to hell deservingly, and no one goes to hell unwillingly. C.S. Lewis also said, you'll find this, that the door of hell is locked on the inside. Theologians today will tell you, as they teach on hell, that the people who are in hell want to be there. In their life, they've rejected God, and they've refused to come to God to heed His call. And even if you were to give them the option to come in heaven, to heaven, they still would not want to choose God. By the time that a person ends up in hell, they are so utterly removed from God in the call of God that, dear friend, they just say, no thank you, and they'd shut the door and lock it rather than give God the glory. Listen to the wisdom of J.I. Packard, one of the great theologians. By the way, he passed away this week, and that's one of the reasons I want to put this in here today. But listen to what uh, Dr. Packard said. God made us responsible moral agents, and he will not treat us as anything less. His word addresses each of us individually, and each of us is responsible for the way in which we respond, for his attention or inattention, for our belief or unbelief, for our obedience or our disobedience. We cannot evade responsibility for our reaction to God's revelation. We live under his law, and we must answer to him for our lives and for our choices. Ezekiel 33 verse 11 says to them, As I declare the living Lord, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his ways and live, turns back, turns back from your evil ways. For why will you die, O house of Israel? Lord says, why would you choose to die? Why would you not turn back? Three times in that one verse, God mentions the ways. Why does a man, why does a woman, why does a boy, why does a girl reject Jesus? Because they don't want to give up living life on their terms. They don't want to push sin away and to live for God. Let me give you one last thing that tells me there is a hell, and that is the Bible itself and what the Bible has to say on the coming judgment. But not only is it the Bible, dear friend, it is the Holy Spirit. It is the Old Testament uh, writers. It's the New Testament writers. It's the apostles. It's the Holy Spirit. Revelation 20, verses 14 and 15, Jesus says, Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death. The lake of fire, and if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. 
John receives that revelation. There is a hell. And he says it's like a lake, a literal lake of fire. It is a fire, it is a burning without end. This is the final judgment in Scripture. You know, the Bible's filled with examples of, of judgment, of God acting in a way that, that maybe you and I wouldn't act. There's a lot of things that the Bible tells us that God did that maybe you and I wouldn't, wouldn't want to do. Think about it for a moment. The flood. There were only eight people saved in a few families. I don't know about you. I mean, this world's a bad world today. And I look around and I get discouraged, but I don't, I've never really felt like I would want to destroy this world by way of water and drown everybody. My heart just, I, I, I can't understand that. But the Bible tells us that there was a point in which God had reached, he was sorry that he had made man. That man was so awful and so sinful that his only recourse was what? To bring a deluge of judgment upon this earth and save only eight. And only because Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. I don't understand it. I don't think it's what you would choose to do. We may, well, we may kind of say something like that. Well, this world just needs to, to burn. But do we really mean it? I mean, if, if we had the, 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 the ability to put our finger on the button and push the button, would we really do it? Burn up everyone. Moses came down from the mountain, found the Israelites worshiping a golden calf. God commands the Levites through Moses to take their swords and run through the camp and slaughter their brothers and their friends. And the Bible says there in Exodus 32, 3,000 people died that day. Could you imagine coming to church this morning and God speaking through your pastor and God saying, take up your, your sword and go out through Alamo and all of Crockett County and slay your brothers and, and, and friends and neighbors? God commands the Israelites to slaughter all the inhabitants of Cana in Deuteronomy 20. You think for a moment of, say, a nation like Iran. And we know how Iran has worked against the good of, uh, of our country. Or think about someone like North Korea. It's a pretty, pretty bad place. Could you imagine the United States absolutely wiping out an entire nation? I'm not talking just the, the, the armies. I'm talking about every man, woman, boy, and girl in that nation. I mean, when we, when we go to war, we, we, try to, we try our best, what? Not to have what we call uh, uh, casualties. Uh, outside that are not military uh, targets. You know, we, we, we do our best to protect the innocents. Yet God in the Bible says, go in there and slaughter the whole group of them. My point is, dear friend, there are a lot of things in Scripture where divine action doesn't really fit with our human standard of logic and morality. And here's the bottom line, and we said it last week, and I'll say it to you again. We don't get to make the rules. God wrote the rules, and God gets to make the rules, and get, dear friend, God gets to enforce the rules. We live in a world that's full of wonder, a, a world that's full of worry. 
But I will say this, it may have its worries over the future, but God isn't worrying about it. You and I may have uh, 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 eyes of wonder that can't believe what we see and, and how things are going, but God is never taken by surprise. God isn't held captive by human opinions or reason. You know, I, I, I hate social media. Matter of fact, you have to be careful what you even say today. Because if you somehow say or nuance something wrong, then all of a sudden the whole world seems like they just want to cave in on you and come down on you. Dear friend, I want to tell you something. God doesn't care. God can tweet all day long and he not give a care about what the world would say about it. He, 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 is, he is in uh, control. He is the ruler. He writes the rules. He's on the throne. Nothing takes God by surprise. Nothing overwhelms him. Nothing dumbfounds him. He has the nations in his hand. He has our future in his hands. He gets the final say. And the final say is this. Judgment is on its way. Now there's good news. And that's Jesus. God says you can settle your case out of court. You can come to the court of Calvary and we'll just settle it here. And instead of you being judged, I will place the judgment upon my son. And your sins will be marked, paid in full. full. But either way, you will appear before the judge. Either way, you will appear in heaven before God. You will be there at that day of separation. So how do you answer the lady who said, I don't want to go to heaven if my son is in hell? Years ago, and I think I've told you this story before, I, I'll never forget, I was listening to Dr. Rogers preach. I was on my way to seminary. I don't even really remember the sermon, but I remember the illustration he used, and it just stuck with me in my mind. Dear friend, suppose for a moment you're that teenage boy and your mama's been praying over you for years, weeping her heart out on her knees at night, morning and night, praying for your soul. And like that young boy, you bust hell wide open. And one day your godly, saintly mother finds herself in heaven. Now, I've heard old boys say this. Well, if I end up in hell, I know my mama going to be crying about it. And she'll, just have to, she'll just have to cry for me. Let me tell you what, dear friend. Your godly, saintly mother that wept over you in this world will not be weeping over you in heaven. You see, when your mother... When your dad, when your brother, when your sister, when your loved one gets to heaven, they're going to get fitted with new glasses. I take these glasses off, and you're just all fuzzy folk, okay? I mean, the rest of you look bad. Brother Brian looks good. Now, you put them on. Y'all look great. There's Brian. It changes, doesn't it? My perspective changes. 
you get holy eyesight in heaven. And dear friend, I'll tell you something. You go to hell and your godly mother in heaven will look, with, look on you with holy eyes and she will say it is a just thing, it is a right thing, and you're cursed for all eternity. She will not be weeping over you for all eternity. She will say, to God be the glory that he has judged you and your sin. I'm telling you, dear friend, with all of my heart, with all of my conviction, there is a hell. Jesus said it. Jesus spoke about it. Jesus died that you and I don't have to go there. God has said it from Genesis through Revelation. He is proved out he's on the throne. We may not understand his ways. I get that. But he wrote the rules and he gets to enforce the rules because he is the rule maker. And the spirit of God and the word of God through the authors of God's word have said all that they could say by example and by testimony. There is a hell. Now, As we close it this morning, let me say there's two places, heaven and hell. What path are you on? There comes a moment when your heart stops beating and you've drawn your last breath on earth. Then what? Where will you be? Heavenly Father, today, perhaps someone is here that says, I need Jesus for you to be my Lord and Savior. Because, Lord, I'm on the path to hell. And it is a real place. And I've not done what I need to do about it. Lord, maybe someone's listening today. And they need to give their heart to you. Whatever decision might need to be made, Jesus. As we come to your, your throne, to that altar... Let us do what needs to be done. In your mighty name we ask, Lord. Amen. We're going to stand and sing the Lord's book, and you come. You come. We pray God's blessings upon you as you worship with us today. If God has led you to make a decision today for Jesus, we would love to hear about it. We invite you to come to our website, cometothecross.net. Our online decision card will allow you to tell us about the decision that you're making. All decisions, all contacts are kept private and are confidential. However, we would be able to pray for you and perhaps I'd even be able to call you and pray with you about what God has led you to do if you so desire. So fill out the form, let us know, and just know that we love you and God loves you. And we're excited that you're taking this first step for God today. Thank you.